Uh, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Now, our engineer is uh, the Hall of Famer, Alan Dempsey, and uh, the uh, producer is a fellow by the name of Andrew Herdliska, who, who produces this show each weekend. And the guest in the first segment is an old friend. His name is Jeff Ryan, former pastor here in Orlando, uh, the chaplain for the Orlando Magic for many years, and now the lead pastor at Three Timbers Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Jeff, wonderful to catch up with you. How are you doing? We're doing great, Pat. It's great to hear your voice. It's great to catch up with everybody as well. Explain to me your most vivid memories of Orlando, Florida. Well, I remember coming down as an intern for, I think, a four-year-old NBA franchise, the Orlando Magic, and there were about maybe 30 total people that worked for the organization. And uh, I remember I came in, and this other player that the Magic drafted, uh, a fellow by the name of Shaquille O'Neal, came. And boy, did that change the Magic, did that change uh, Central Florida, really, for, for all for the better. And the memories of being a part of seeing the organization grow and the impact that it has and continues to have on the community of Central Florida and beyond was just really exciting just to be a part of something that just had such a powerful reach on so many people, the Orlando Magic Youth Foundation, uh, the DeVos family, uh, and obviously to be able to watch this thing become what it is now. Uh, Boy, what a blessing that was, and to have the opportunity to learn uh, from someone like you who has built so many wonderful, impactful, legacy type of things. Uh, It was just great. I look back on that, and um, it's just amazing to see all that you know happened in that time. You don't really appreciate it as much when you're in it. So it's when you step back years later and go, "Wow, I went to two NBA Finals and got to see guys come in the league who are now coaches or general managers and guys who were single and now are dads." And so it's really been really a neat thing to to look back on. So great memories um, from Orlando and great memories with the Magic. What do you remember about Shaq? You know, I remember that he was a big kid, and not just physically, but just he was a really sweet kid who wanted to help. You know, his years with us in Orlando, um, he was accessible, he was fun, he brought personality. Uh, you know, he did so many things, and you and you know them, and, and the public doesn't know them as much. So many things behind the scenes to help people, to help families in Central Florida. And so what I remember was his personality brought so much life uh, to the city and to the team and to the community. And uh, he just made it fun. I mean, he was, what, 19 um, when when we drafted him. And he just had this youthful exuberance. Obviously, he was uh, gifted so well physically, but his personality, he was just fun. And and I think that's what really made it special. How did... uh, um sports chapel start in Orlando and what's the significance of this whole chapel program in professional athletics? Well, the chapel program and and many of your listeners may not know this is really uh, once again, something that God worked through you, Um, you know, you and Bobby Jones and Julius Irving in Philadelphia uh, kind of began that and it kind of began in, I think a shower, um, you know, space, a couple of chairs and said, Hey, we, we want to pray before games. And, 
and that has kind of spread. And what it is, it's an opportunity for players from both teams to come to a neutral locker room and to hear the Word of God and to be prayed for. And it's not a place where we're praying for this team to win or that team to win. It's a place for young guys, you know, that are 19, 20, in their early 20s, away from home, with a whole lot of pressure and expectations on them and a whole lot of people around them. It's a place that they could come to be safe, to know that they were going to be fed, that nobody wanted anything from them. Nobody wanted an autograph or money or tickets. It was, here's the word of God. And what it does, it keeps players grounded to what's important. And, you know, every year I used to always say, and you'll remember this name, I would say, do you know who Wes Unseld is? Mm. And these young players would look at me and they'd say, I have no idea who that is. And I said, someday somebody's going to say that about your name. I said, you are not what you do. You are more than a basketball player. You're a child of God. And so the chapel program allowed for you to minister to guys to let them know that, you know, the basketball career, if it's a great one, you know, maybe it's 12, 13 years. And then they're probably under 40. They've got the rest of their life. And so trying to help them understand you are not defined by what you do or your successes or failures. You're defined by the love of Jesus who died on the cross for you. And so the chapel program is in every NBA team, and the chaplains are volunteers who come in and, and just really want to love on these guys and an extension of their families as well. And so it's an opportunity to help these young guys know that in a world that everybody tells them they're the greatest and they have access to money and all of this, that doesn't impress God. You know, what impresses God is a humble, obedient heart. And uh, so, you know, you're able to build relationships with guys, even if they change teams. You see a friendly face when they come into town, and it's good to see you. Let's pray for you. You know, how's your family? I mean, they deal with the same challenges that we all deal with, grandparents that get older, parents that have cancer, um, insecurity, anxiety, loss. Um, and so many guys would come, and they would really share their hearts kind of in that environment. So uh, the chapel program has, has really been a ministry that God has has put on your heart, and, and now it has spread and so many lives have been changed because of chapel. And I remember just two guys, to give you an example, uh, former uh, Gator Andrew DeClerc and Keith Tower, both who were with the Magic for some time, both really nice guys, became a part of the chapel program. And, and I think they would tell you they were NBA journeymen, uh, but their journey was that God was working on their hearts. And now they are co-pastors of a church in Orlando. And the NBA Chapel program as a whole had an impact on those guys, and they're just doing terrific. Uh, Jeff, how did you go from a magic employee to a pastor? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, um, the way that it worked, uh, the, the chapel program for the magic had a gentleman uh, named Roy Heinz that was coming in, and then our old friend Jamie Lutz, um, and a magic employee who was the coordinator to um, kind of make sure that the room was set and all of those details. Well, Jamie ended up taking a job in Atlanta, and there was a need for a coordinator. And um, you had come up and said, hey, would you be willing to do this? Jamie had recommended me, and uh, I said, sure, I'll be happy to coordinate it. And so I was coordinating it, and uh, Roy was getting called out of town for his job and said, we need somebody to step in and, and do a chapel here and there. And I said, well, who do you want me to get? And he said, well, you should do it. And I thought, there's no way 
there's just no way I should be able to do this. And he somehow convinced me. And so I get in there and I remember my first chapel. I set the chairs up. I had a center row. I had my Bible with all these post-its in it. And I started preaching from the book of Jason. And I said, the book of Jason says this, and the book of Jason says that. And I felt that I was Billy Graham in that moment. And after the service, uh, somebody came up to me and they said, wow, uh, that was powerful. But you know, there's no book of Jason in the Bible. There's a book of James. And I said, well, maybe not in your Bible, but in mine (laughs) was that day. And uh, at the end of that season, uh, Roy moved away and uh, I was asked to come on uh, to be the chaplain. And my wife started seeing how much time and energy I was putting into preparing for chapel, uh, hours upon hours for 15 to 20 minutes. And she was the one that really said, I really think God is is calling you to ministry. And like Jonah, I started running the other way and, and God kind of closed some doors and kind of made me realize you're going to go to seminary. And, uh, and so I did right there in Oviedo, Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, it's where I got my master's and eventually my doctorate, and um, and God just kind of used that that time. And while I was in seminary, I was able to continue to be a part of the chapel program, and um, and God called me into full time ministry. But uh, the chapel ministry, the chapel program, really is the foundation uh, for my call into full time ministry. Jeff Ryan, Pastor Jeff Ryan, uh, has joined us from uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, we have another segment with Jeff, so stay with us. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. And remember, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can help. Go up to that website, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in. Uh, Just explain to us your level of interest, orlandodreamers.com. We'll be right back. Pastor Jeff Ryan is with us. He's in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, heads up the church, Three Trim, uh, Timbers Church in, in Omaha. Jeff, how did you end up in Omaha? What happened? Well, I was pastoring a, a wonderful church uh, in College Park, College Park Presbyterian Church, and God just kind of said it was time to move. And, um, you know, our family prayed about it and really said, Lord, if, if you're leading, we'll go. And um, and so we came out, and, and we were called to a church, and then as we were called to that church, God said, I want you to plant uh, a new church. Um, and so we um, planted a church in a town called Bennington, which is about three miles outside of Omaha, and um, and we've been out here going on uh, year number six uh, in January, and um, it, it's just been an amazing journey to be able to be a part of kind of building something from the ground up. Um, as a church plant, you know, similar to obviously you built the magic and uh, being a part of the magic organization that built the Orlando Miracle, that built the Orlando Solar Bears, that built the RDV Sportsplex. Uh, to be able to see all of those things built, uh, I think God used those to help prepare me to be a part of building this church uh, here in Nebraska. What is the spiritual climate in Nebraska? You know, it's really a, a wonderful, wonderful place to live and to raise a family. I mean, there's that old joke of Midwestern sensibilities, and it's real. Uh, typically, people say, well, what's your name? And then the second question is, where do you go to church? It's a, it's a place that really um, values faith. It's a place that openly talks about faith. To give you an example, um, we have a great relationship with the Bennington Public Schools, and they have a, a, a foundation fundraiser every year. 
and I've been honored to give the invocation. Uh, so it's a public school asking a pastor to give an invocation in the name of Jesus Christ, and, and nobody bats an eye. Everybody's comfortable with that. So it's a place that's very open to faith. Even on the news, you'll, you'll hear anchors say, well, you know, we just need to pray for uh, this situation. So it's, it's a very open uh, uh, community when it comes to talking of faith. Uh, Jeff, I'm, I'm curious about your children. What's going on there? Well, my daughter, Sayla, is 15 and a sophomore, and I can't believe how quickly that has happened. Uh, she's a cross-country runner, does an amazing job. Uh, she's in uh, all kinds of activities with school. She's in speech. She's in one act. Um, she's an amazing singer. She's learning to play the guitar. My son, Levi, who is 11, uh, is into baseball, uh, basketball, and um, both of them are smarter than I will ever hope to be. Uh, they're just doing amazing things. My wife, Christy, um, is a middle school counselor um, in, a, in, a, in the Omaha Public School District, and she's able to really impact kids that are, that are maybe at risk. Um, she does a terrific job. So as a family, uh, we have really loved this move here. Uh, the seasons, it's a gorgeous 70 degrees today. Um, and so we really love it. We miss Orlando. Uh, just yesterday, my daughter was saying, I want to go to the beach. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, my, my girls are Florida girls. And so uh, they definitely want to come back and go to the beach. And so we hope when, when travel is a little bit uh, easier, uh, we hope to be back at the beach. What have you learned uh, spiritually about this whole pandemic, Jeff? You know, I think that's a great question. And I think what, what I've learned is I think God wants to slow us down. Um, I think we equate velocity with um, somehow purpose, that the busier we are, then somehow we're fulfilling our purpose. And I think God has slowed everybody down to stop and take inventory. So take a look at our hearts. I think families are now eating meals together. Families are actually having to talk to one another. I think we've realized all of the things that we thought we had to have or had to be able to do, we didn't need to have or be able to do. I think this pandemic has taught us what we need is we need God and that we're not in control. And we'd love to think that we can plan the future. I'll do this in a year and this in five years, that God's in control. You know, the pandemic was not, as I was listening to a podcast and a pastor said, the pandemic was not God's plan B. It was his plan A. Mm. God's in control. And, uh, you know, he's teaching us something, and he's bringing, I think, a lot of people closer to him. I think churches now are finding, you know, that the most important things are the scriptures and prayer. Um, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes the church has gotten a little off track to think that it's about buildings and how big your music ministry is. But I think what we're finding out now, it's just about worship and about prayer. And so hopefully this pandemic will... We'll find our way through it with a vaccine or a cure. Uh, we obviously want everybody to be safe and follow all of the protocols and wear the masks. But I think God is really kind of slowing us down um, so he can do some business with each of us in our hearts to say, well, where am I in my relationship with God? You know, where am I in, in my relationships with my spouse and my kids and my grandkids? And, you know, I can slow down and I can really listen and hear God. So I think that's one of the lessons that I think is coming out of this. Jeff, uh, Jeff Ryan is our guest. Uh, Jeff, if you could sit down with uh, Warren Bennis for lunch, uh, what would you want to talk about? What would you want to ask him? 
You know, obviously Warren Buffett is one of the most well-known and most successful people in America. I think I would want to sit with him and just ask him what he believes his money has gained him and what he thinks um, his money has afforded him. Um, because I'd want to hear what he values. Um, obviously, he's a very smart man. He's a very successful man. He's a very philanthropic man here in this community and communities beyond. But what has that truly gained him? You know, because Scripture says, what if a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? So I think I'd want to ask him some heart questions. You know, where do you think this all ends for you? You know, what happens when you die? Uh, yes, your businesses may le- live on for a long time, but what happens to you? Um, so I would think I would just want to ask him that, uh, just kind of where his heart is at uh, a little bit and what his beliefs are. Um, he's, he's a successful man, but uh, what type of success does he really think matters? Well, Jeff, there's a challenge for you because he's, he's quite ex- accessible. Um, yep. Very common guy. I've, I've, I've driven by his house. It's just a, another house in the neighborhood. And, yes, uh, it is. Drives a regular car and... Uh, I bet you could call him up and invite him to lunch, and who knows, Jeff, you may be successful. So That's right. You never know until you try. There, there's your challenge. There's your challenge. Listen, uh, Jeff, Omaha, and I'm familiar with it, it's it's the home of the College World Series. It's a great baseball city, isn't it? It's a fantastic baseball city. Uh, also, Creighton University has a really strong athletic program here, mm-hmm. uh, but the stadium, TD Ameritrade Stadium, we go every year. Uh, to the College World Series. It's packed, and uh, so many Florida schools have been there. I mean, Florida, Florida State, Miami. Um, it is an amazing baseball city. Um, and I just I, I love being in a, in a community where baseball is this big, and I can't wait when Orlando gets their baseball team because I know that the dreamers are going to happen. I know that with you and so many other people in Central Florida excited about this, I think Orlando is a great baseball community. I remember the Tinker Field days and, and, uh, uh, and all uh, of the different uh, things. So it's, it was wonderful. What role did Cindy Crawford play in your life, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember years ago. Right now it just plays a role where my kids uh, tease, tease us all the time. But um, I remember years ago when I was working for Shaq, I had the privilege to kind of work for him. And he called me up one Easter morning and said, I need you to come out to the house. I need your help. And I'm like, it's Easter. And he's like, I need you to come out. So I come out to the house and he greets me at the door and he says, look, I need you to take somebody around because we're going to go to the hospital today. And uh, I'm Shaka Bunny. He always had a nickname for everything. Shaka Claw, Shaka Bunny. And I need you to take somebody around with me. And I'm like, fine, whatever. He takes me into the dining room of his, like, I think 16 seat table. And he says, Jeff, this is Cindy. And who stands before me but Cindy Crawford? And I just tried to play it off like it was no big deal. And I said, oh, hi, Cindy, how are you? And, and so for that whole day, I had to escort Cindy Crawford around Central Florida hospitals as uh, Shaquille and her dropped off Easter baskets with kids. And, and I'm walking with her, and I'm arm in arm with her, and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to, to kind of play cool and, and be nice. And she's like, oh, you're so sweet. You're so funny. Oh, my girlfriends would love you. And I'm, I'm playing it off like it's nothing. So finally, at the end of the day, we get back to Shaquille's house and, and uh, you know, she's getting ready to go. And I said, Cindy, could I ask you a question? And she says, sure. 
And I said, can I please have a picture with you? And she just laughed because I think she knew all day I was holding that in, uh, wanting to ask that. And so uh, I did get a picture with her. I still have that picture. Oh, uh, um, uh, uh, and uh, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to, to look back on those days. And uh, um, obviously that was a long time ago, and, uh, but it sure was a lot of fun uh, back in those days. And, 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 and how did she and Shaq hook up? What was that about? I think it was through uh, Pepsi. I see. Uh, both of them at that time were working um, for Pepsi as, as celebrity endorsers, and I think they just put them together. Um, obviously, Shaquille at that time was just so, so visible and so well-known, and so was Cindy Crawford through all of her, her modeling. And so I think they were brought together for a charitable event, and, and both of them really are just terrific people who wanted to help uh, a lot of kids who were in the hospital and going through amazing things. And and like always, you know, you go with the intention of helping those kids, but the kids were the ones that helped us. You know, they showed us what true strength was and, and true faith. And, and, and so it was an amazing experience, not just because you were with obviously someone as, as well known as Cindy Crawford, but those kids were just so amazing in their strength and their character and their life uh, in the midst of some difficult circumstances. Jeff Ryan is our guest. He's in Omaha. Jeff, how do you go about your quiet time? You know, my quiet time, you know, I really think it's important um, to have a routine. I try to do it at the same time every day. I try to start my day. One of the things I do is before my feet hit the floor every day, I say, Lord, will your spirit guide my thoughts, my words, my actions, my reactions, and my time? Lord, I don't want to be in control of this day. I don't want to try to control anything. Lord, will you control it? That's the first thing I do. And then my quiet time is I pray before I open the Bible. I say, Lord, will you speak to me today? Uh, I just don't want to get into a rote routine. I say, Lord, speak to me. And, and then I open the Bible and I read. And, and then I kind of just kind of reflect on what I've read and how does that apply to my life? What is God saying to me? And so I just kind of let that marinate uh, with me throughout the day. Um, you know, and like even even today, I was in Second Corinthians six, and it talks about do not receive the Lord's grace in vain. He has heard you, He has helped you, and it made me just reflect the grace that God gives me every day. Like I don't want to take that for granted. I, I want to just wrap myself in His grace. And I kind of went back and thought about all of the grace that God has shown me from my whole life, but from Orlando to Omaha. I was like, wow, God, look at what you've done in my life. And so I pray through that. And then for me, I get on my knees and I, you know, and I pray for my family. I pray for people that I know are going through difficult times. Um, I pray for this call. I pray for everything. And then I, when I'm done, I get up and I journal. And so I kind of write, I write a one page letter to God every day. Really? I just put dear God. And I just share my heart. Uh, what maybe I've read in the text, what's going on in my life, where my struggles are, where my joys are, where my concerns are. And, and I give those to God. And it's neat to, to be able then to look back, you know, and say, oh, wow, I remember I prayed for this, God, all this time ago, and, and, and you were so faithful. Or, God, you showed me, you gave me clarity on that. And so, you know, that's how I approach it. There's obviously so many different ways to approach it. But the most important thing is that you have that time every day. Um, because when you don't have that time, you're just off balance. You know, you're just not grounded and centered for whatever's going to come mm. your day. And, you know, that, that passage in Second Corinthians went on to say, this is the day, the day of salvation. And you know what? 
this is the day. Today is the day for somebody that this is the day that you understand that, man, God loves you and God's got a great plan for you. This is the day. And, you know, how can we just make today the best day, honor God, enjoy the moment, and just celebrate his grace? Jeff Ryan, Dr. Jeff Ryan, uh, has been our guest, lead pastor at Three Timbers Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Had a big influence here in Orlando uh, years back. And, uh, Jeff, I'm so glad that we could catch up and visit. And uh, You sound great, and I'm, I'm glad things are going well for you in Omaha. Well, Pat, it's so awesome just to uh, to catch up with you. And obviously, you talk about impact. You have had such an impact uh, on my life and ministry and just the approach and the energy and the enthusiasm and all that you have done and are doing. And honestly, it's just a privilege to be able to call you friend and a brother in Christ. And I'm excited for this new ministry that God has you on with bringing baseball. Uh, I signed up. Uh, the first time I heard it, I said, I'm logging on. I'm interested. I'm ready oh, to go. That's great. Uh, so I hope everybody in Central Florida gets on board because it's going to be exciting. Jeff Ryan, uh, we've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Remember, you're plugged in here to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, we'll be right back. Jeff Ryan, our guest in that first segment from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, we go from Omaha to Greenville, South Carolina. We've caught up with Dale Sellers, executive director of 95 Network, author of Stalled, Hope and Help for Pastors Who Thought They'd Be There by Now. Well, Dale, it's nice to catch up with you, and I hope things are well with you. Pat, it's great to be on, and, and uh, just an honor to, to hang out with you. Uh, you're you're a famous guy in these parts. <laughs> Well, you're in Greenville. I spent, uh, well, at the very beginning of my sports career, I was in Spartanburg, South Carolina, for uh, four very memorable years. And uh, so uh, I, I I love that neck of the woods, Dale. Uh, for, before great we, place to live. Yes, it is. Before we uh, talk about your book, uh, what is the 95 Network about? Okay, um, basically it's this, Pat. It's, there's about 300,000 churches in America. And most people don't recognize that 95% of all the churches in America have less than 500 people attending. About 87% of the churches in America have uh, 200 people attending. And somewhere around 70% of all the churches in America have about 100 people attending. Mm. So at 95 Network, our, our passion, our vision, and our mission, our mission is to bring big resources to small and mid-sized churches. And our vision is to uh, come along beside these churches uh, and try to help them get healthy. Uh, so we really focus on the small church and the and the mid-sized church because uh, there's just so many of them. Well, that subtitle, Pastors Who Thought They'd Be There By Now, oh, where is there and what is now? And, and, and <laughs> what are you teaching them? What's going on? So, Pat, basically, uh, I've been in ministry for 40 years. Um, but I had reached a point in my life when I, I'm a very uh, high-energy, entrepreneurial-type person. And so uh, when I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, there was so much leadership development teaching and things like that out there for pastors that when I uh, began to be pastor of a small church that I, that I did for 12 years, I just assumed that church would grow to be a larger church. And when I say large, I don't mean necessarily a mega church. Um, but I, I went, when I began pastoring the church, they had 30 people in it, and we grew from 30 to 300. But in the eighth year of our church, we had a split, and our church went back down to 150. And that was very devastating for me because I felt like a failure. 
And so a few years ago, I was having a conversation with my friend, Tony Morgan, and I just told him, I said, uh, Tony, I just want to tell you something I've never told anyone. I said, I feel like a failure because I thought I'd be there by now. And there was just at a place where I thought that I would I would have built a larger ministry. And so I felt like failure kind of defined who I was. Uh, and so that's the, the reason we wrote the title of the book the way we did is because um, a lot of our, a lot of our pastors don't really understand where there is, and and it, it's like it's, it's some um, place out there somewhere that they it's ambiguous. They can't really get an understanding of of where it is, and uh, that's kind of where that high, that concept came from. So, what goes through the mind of a pastor with a with hundred people in his congregation? What are they What are they thinking about themselves? Well, most of us. Uh, I think, first of all, if you're if you're truly called to be a pastor, you love pastoring people, and and your your whole focus is not necessarily on trying to to build a, a mega church or anything like that. But what happens after a while, when you've been somewhere for a, a long period of time, when it hasn't grown, you begin to question your own leadership ability. You begin to question your own calling, and and so uh, pastors are very private. There's very few people that they can reach out to. Uh, some pastors obviously have people. But most pastors, uh, pastoring is very lonely. Uh, you can't just share your, your hurts and your failures with just anyone. Uh, and so uh, what happens to you over time is you, you get to a place where you become isolated. And that's a dangerous place for any pastor to get to. How does that happen? Uh, I think just a lot of, of uh, the hurts that happen. If you study statistics that, that talk about pastors, one of the really big statistics that is so sad is that 90% of the pastors uh, that have been surveyed say that they don't feel like they have a, a close personal friend. Uh, and so, and, and, and it really happens, Pat, for two reasons. The first reason that it happens, um, a lot of pastors define who they are by what they do. And so, so pastoring, it fills their emotional tank. And, and so that's why they tend to want to do everything. Uh, and, and that's not healthy. According to the uh, a book, of, uh, Ephesians 4 in the Bible, uh, Jesus said that he gave us the, the leaders in the church, the apostles and the pastors and evangelists and teachers, to equip saints to do ministry. But a lot of small church pastors specifically, they do it all themselves because they need to be needed. It, it fills their emotional thing. And then the second reason it happens is because so many of our congregations expect the pastor to do everything, and they treat the pastor more as a hireling. Uh, instead of someone who leads the church. And so uh, there's a lot of dysfunction that takes place in the way a lot of our churches are set up. What happens to a pastor when he does get isolated? What What's the next thing that's going to happen to him? Well, I think pressure builds, and typically it's going to affect either their marriage or it's going to affect their relationship with their kids. Uh, one of the things that people used to say is a joke, which is not funny, but growing up I would hear people say that the reason the pastor's kids are so bad it's because they played with the deacon's kids and, mm-hmm. and and what happened back then was was the pastors would they would be gone every night of the week out trying to save everybody else's family and lose their own and so um when i grew up actually pastors well, evangelists would come to our church and they would say this and say they would say it's god first then your ministry and then your family well i, I don't i don't believe that at all i think it's god first then your family then your ministry and so because we don't put our family in the proper priority, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't uh, manage our marriage. We don't get help for our marriage. And honestly, Pat, very few churches have uh, built in anything uh, in, the, in their budget to, to, to ensure that the pastor and their spouse gets to go on a retreat and build their marriages. Um, 
the expectations of a lot of churches is that you would sacrifice your family for the sake of the ministry. And if you don't defend your family as a pastor, if you don't stand in the gap for your marriage, no one else is going to do it for you. Mm. And so you have a lot of uh, issues you work through privately that uh, you don't really have anyone to talk to about. It. And, it, and it just kind of caves in on you for a while. Dale Sellers is with us from Greenville, South Carolina. We're talking about his book, Stalled, Hope and Help for Pastors Who Thought They'd Be There by Now. Um, you, you write about the importance for a pastor to have a clearly defined mission. What's that mean? This is probably the biggest issue we see in, in the churches we work with. Is how We believe at 95 Network your mission it just simply states why you exist. And most of the churches in America who gather on Sunday mornings really don't know why they're gathering. They, they do so because it's Sunday morning and it's the, it's the church hour, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whenever they meet, but because they've always met. But, but especially today, you've got to understand what is the unique calling that God is giving you, given to your individual church. Now, the Great Commission is everybody's mission. That's, that's, that's settled. But every church has a unique way that they carry that out. And so for so many of our churches, they don't know their mission. They don't know why they exist and what it is they're attempting to accomplish in their communities. So they just kind of flounder and just kind of keep doing what they've always done. Now, uh, I want you to talk uh, about accountability with a trusted friend. Why is that so important? It's huge. Uh, We were not made to go through this life alone. We were not made to go through this world alone. We, we need we need people that we uh, that we can depend on. And you know, remember when the Promise Keepers movement came out in the '90s? One of the big things about the Promise Keepers movement was getting into getting getting together with a with a core group of fellows that you met with every week and that you were accountable to. Well, here's the thing about accountability: accountability doesn't work if you don't if you're not honest. And I'm not going to be honest and tell you the things that's going in my life if I don't know you love me deeply. And so it's very important to develop a relationship, kind of like David and Jonathan uh, in the Bible, where they just they had this great soul connection. Uh, and, and if you're a man, you need a man to do that with. And if you're a lady, you need a lady to do that with, so that you can be yourself and share your stuff. And, 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 and it helps you to keep from being blindsided. I want you to talk about, uh, and our guest is Dale Sellers. Dale, I want you to talk about the the role of a pastor's wife. It's huge, buddy. <laughs> I wouldn't be talking to you today if it wasn't for Gina. Um, we prioritize our marriage. I think the best thing I can say to you is this, Pat. When when I began ministry, um, and before we started having, we have three daughters, before we started having our kids, I made a commitment to my family that I would always put my family above ministry. Uh, and, and to do that, you've got to value your marriage. You know, uh, we've been married. We were married when I was 20. She was 19. We've been married 38 years. And, and my family life, my marriage and my home is what helped me sustain me through the difficult years when I felt like a failure as a leader and as a pastor and really just as a man. And so investing in our marriages is the coolest thing in the world, because the more you pour into your spouse, the more you get in return. You, you don't do it for that, but that's just what happens. And so for me, uh, our marriage, is, it was the stability that, that was the rock that I depended upon. Uh, I could be transparent. I could be myself. Uh, and, and the cool thing about my wife is she knows the good, the bad, and the ugly about me. And she helped to shape my life with prayer because she would pray about things in my life 
that she saw that sometimes I couldn't even recognize myself. So it's been the key, man, to, to me being uh, able to, to even hang, be able to hang out with you today. Uh, what is your definition of ministry? Ministry is, uh, there's, there's two, two definitions of it, if you will. There's a divine call where as a pastor or a, someone in ministry, you feel that this is what the, the Lord created you to do and it's a calling to do. But ministry and as a whole, which we're all called to do, is to, is to be Jesus to the people we come in contact with, but to be Jesus to people of different cultures, to be to Jesus to people of different political persuasions. It's just to be Jesus to people everywhere. Uh, to me, that's what ministry is all about, is, is caring and loving people. Um, and Jesus summed the Bible up by saying, you know, it's really this simple. You love God and you love people. And it, it, Explain to me the, um, the, 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 the church in South Carolina, the Bible Belt. Uh, what, what is that all about? What's that mean? Well, we have a lot of tradition here. <laughs> We have a lot of a lot of people who were raised in church, and one of one of the things that happens in this part of the country is is there's a lot of people. If you ask them if they're Christian, they will say they are because they say, "Well, my grandpa was a preacher, or my mom and dad went to church." There's a lot of people who were raised in a church environment who just they just assume that because they were raised in an environment like we're in here in the South, that that is that osmosis on you and you become a Christian, and it's not. So what you develop. Uh, in the Bible Belt, uh, is a lot of religion, and religion's not always good. <laughs> religion's not always spiritual, uh, and so I think that's one of the things we're discovering about ourselves. Is there's a lot of people who attend church or say they go to church, but the, you don't really see the transformation in their life that comes from you know a, a true salvation experience. That's really coming to the surface more and more here in, in this specifically this part of the country. Dale, what has become? of revival meetings in the, in the South, Revival Week. Uh, is that still going on? No, I don't. I don't. Very few places do Revival Week. Uh, there are uh, typical gatherings now happen usually Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then it may go Monday, Tuesday, and some go to Wednesday. Um, again, a lot of the focus, uh, Pat, one of the big problems we have in the American church is that we've become so insider-focused that the majority of the things that we do are to satisfy the saints, which is great. I, we, the, 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 certain, the saints certainly need to be edified. They need to be built up. There's no doubt about it. But our, our, we can't lose in, the, in that desire to be an edifier to the people in our church. We've got to save. We've got to reach sinners. We've got to save sinners. And so I think what happens with a lot of the, quote-unquote, the old revivals and things like that, uh, a lot of them are built around remembering what God did instead of really focusing on what God's doing today. And so. Just in our busy society we're in today, if you plan a week-long meeting, unless your church has tremendous momentum, you're probably not going to have a lot of folks show up. And so that's why we don't do the long meetings anymore. It's just because people, they're busy. They can't come. And so um, it's definitely changed a lot from, from when it was when I grew up in the 70s. What's your definition of the word edify? To build up, to encourage, to strengthen. Um, I think that's one of the cool things about being a Christian. That's why it's important for us to meet together and gather so that we can hear the word preached, but not just hear the word preached. We can worship together. We can, you know, the edification comes from just hanging out with your friends. And there's a, there's a definite uh, aspect of fellowship that encourages and it strengthens us, which kind of goes back to the friendship and accountability thing we talked about earlier. Um, it, that's a very important part of being a believer. 
and and probably that's one of the biggest things that this, the COVID situation has done is it's really disrupted our ability to do that because we, we aren't able to gather in person. Dale Sellers is our guest, author of the book Stalled, A Hope and Help for Pastors Who Thought They'd Be There by Now. Uh, we've got another segment with Dale. Uh, I want you to stay with us. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Dale about the negative effect of comparison and uh, comparing ministries. Uh, I'm Pat Williams. This is the Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. I'm Pat Williams, and uh, my guest is Dale Sellers. He's in Greenville, South Carolina, talking about his book, Stalled. And as advertised, Dale, this word comparison, it has a negative effect, apparently, uh, comparing ministries. What do you think? Well, it definitely did to me because what happens is uh, if I compare myself to other churches and other friends specifically, if if, if I view what they're doing is more successful than me, then it creates some things in me. that There's actually some traits that will develop in your life through constant comparisons. One of those traits is you'll start thinking you're not good enough because you haven't been able to accomplish what someone else has. Um, another thing that will happen is it will actually reveal that you have a in your own heart maybe a stronghold of pride because uh, as, a, as a fellow believer, you should be rejoicing with the success of another church when we typically don't do that. I think another huge thing that comparison does is it, it, it shows you the impact of insecurity in your life. Uh, and then I know for me, Pat, uh, I'm 58, as I mentioned earlier. The, the thing that I had to finally come to grips with was that I'm not in control. And what I mean by that is, is you know, theologically speaking, you know, we we all know we're, you know, God's in control, we're not in control. But sometimes we don't live life that way. We feel like we are in control. And so when you finally, uh, if, you, if you are always comparing to others, you're always judging yourself against others, uh, you'll get to a place in your life where you, you, you get hard-hearted and you get cynical. Uh, to be just very transparent with you, there are many times in my life when I would look at other churches that were successful, that friends of mine pastored, and I would be like, well, I don't get this, God. I mean, I, I know that person. I, I, they're, they're, you know, they haven't been trained in certain things. Um, and so what happens is your focus becomes about others instead of what God can do in your own heart. And it always, comparison always, always uh, produces negative results in your life. Do most churches grow because of a magnetic or charismatic or exciting Bible teaching pastor? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the reality is that most of the church growth in America is what we would call swapping sheep. And that just means that, you know, uh, that there's a new church in town or a church in town that's, that's, that's more cutting edge. And I want to be fair here. Sometimes there are a lot of our churches that are dying. And so sometimes very committed believers in the church will go to another church just because they want to get their kids in a, an environment where there's life. So I, I don't want to diminish that. But but we tend to, uh, because we have this concept that the church exists to, just to cater to us, we, and we've lost that mission and vision to reach the community and to reach those outside of us. Uh, a lot of our church growth in America just comes from swapping church members, and we've got to get back to the place where where our church growth comes from conversion, where we actually impact communities, and we actually reach people that are hurting and broken that don't know Jesus, and we engage with them. Uh, and so, to be honest, yes, the answer to your question is yes, usually it's uh, a charismatic type leader that is, is one of the reasons why our churches do grow in America. 
why do you think it's so hard for people to share their faith with with non-believers? Because we haven't been trained. Uh, it's really that simple. I, I, I was an executive pastor of the church here in South Carolina a few years ago, and, and one morning when I was teaching a message, I, I just I just asked everyone to bow their head and close their eyes, and I said, if you feel like today uh, you had the opportunity to share your faith and lead someone to Jesus, uh, that you feel equipped to do that, I want you to raise your hand. Uh, and, and in two services with about 350 people, I had 20 people raise their hand. Uh, and so we, they didn't feel, people don't feel comfortable in sharing their faith because we really haven't trained them on how to do it. So we literally had a class the next night, just impromptu class, and invited people to come, and we taught them how to share the faith. And we had over 100 people show up. Mm. So it's not that people don't want to share their faith. It's just that, uh, Pat, honestly, discipleship is a word that we use a lot in the church. It's just not something we do very well, where we actually train people on how to do the things, to have the disciplines and do the things that, that we've been com- uh, commanded to do or, or, and that Jesus expects us to do. And so I think the main reason that people don't share their faith is they don't feel like they know how to. And uh, I've discovered that when you do train them, you know, then they, they do well. It's just a matter of we haven't made that as strong of an emphasis, uh, in my opinion. Uh, Dale, there's a word that keeps coming up in your book, and it's the word discouraged or discouragement. Um, did I say that correctly? You sure did. <laughs> it's where I lived for a long time, brother. You know, when you have visions and dreams and, you know, and especially, you know, when in the American culture, we have this Western view of what uh, vision is all about. And, and, and sometimes we actually have, I've heard people say that, that the Bible doesn't really expect us to have vision. And, and that's not true. Uh, the Bible's full of vision. Every, you know, God created the earth with vision in mind. But our, our vision isn't about just helping us to feel whole or feel us or, or accomplish something for our own lives. Our vision should always be bigger than us. Our vision should always be something that helps change people's lives. And when you're not accomplishing that, uh, you begin to feel empty on the inside. And I think that certainly happened to me. Uh, and so I got to a place in my life where I was just discouraged. But, I, you know, the problem was, Pat, I kept doing what I'd always done. And as you know, you keep getting what you've always gotten when you do that. What's the difference between the word discouraged and disappointed? Oh, I think discouraged just comes from uh, a place in your life where you, uh, you feel like you personally can't accomplish things. Uh, and for me, when it comes to disappointment, it goes back to like the story where Lazarus dies. You remember Mary, Martha, and yes. Lazarus? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really good friends of Jesus. And do you remember when Lazarus died? You know, Jesus delayed coming. But when 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 uh, when when Jesus does show up, Martha runs out to meet Jesus, and 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 she kind of says all the right things, and and she's trying to ha- put on a happy face. But Mary doesn't show up. Mary doesn't go. And so Jesus asked for her. And when Mary gets there, because I think I think they were really good friends. I think when Mary gets there. She just drops to her knees and just says, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's disappointment, where you feel like what you expected the Lord to do, or in mm. some cases what you expect people to do, when they don't come through for you, uh, it's disappointing. And, and, and I think that exchange is very powerful between Mary and Jesus, because she's, you know, her thing was, if only. And so I, I spent some time in the book actually talking about how you know, you could, we could all fill in if only and then put a blank behind it. If only this hadn't happened or if only this would have happened. I think that's where discouragement and dis- disappointment kind of separate a little bit. 
uh, because it's like you just feel extremely let down by those you look up to. Dale, is there a standard story about how most men are called into the ministry? Is there Are there common no. threads? There is a common thread because there is a thing God puts in your heart. But a very, very wise man told me when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school, I was beginning to sense God's call upon my life. And so I was talking to another, a fellow who was teaching Sunday school at our church, who also accepted the call in ministry. And so I went to lunch with him. I'm talking to him. And I said, listen, you know, can you know for sure? How do you know that, that God's calling you? How do you, how do you recognize that? He said, oh, it's very, it's, it's a very clear thing. There's a clarion call. And I said, well, what happened with you? How was your calling? He says, I'm not going to tell you. And I said, well, why not? He says, because if I tell you how God called me, and he doesn't call you exactly the same way, you may feel like you're not called. I thought, man, that's such a great advice, because the way that God speaks to me and works in my life, the way he works in your life, Pat, though we still sense his presence and he speaks to us, how he speaks to you and, and you recognize that it's different than me. So I don't think there's a just a definite, boy, this is the way God calls you. Um, but it is a matter of knowing his voice and following his voice and allowing him to direct and guide your steps. Dale, in closing, I want you to expand on one other word, and that word is hope. Mm, that's my word, brother. <laughs> mm. So here's here's where we are. A lot of people, uh, they teach you that uh, the opposite of, of, of faith is fear, but honestly, the opposite of hope is fear. You don't have to do anything to have hope. You don't have to do anything to have fear. Those are just things that come. The opposite of faith is doubt. And so the Bible says faith is the substance of the things you hope for. Um, in our country today, we are so divided, we are so broken, and there's so much happening. And, and as, uh, as we record this, the debate just recently happened. And a lot of people are discouraged and defeated. But I woke up today with so much hope that the God who began a good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it. And, and hope is just a, a thing where you go, you know what, I hope it works out. I believe it's going to work out. And then it builds your faith. You build your faith around hope. It's great hope for America. I have a great hope for this world. I have a great hope that what Jesus has begun in the church and what he's begun in the earth, Jesus is going to accomplish it. And, and, and I want to say this before we close today. In every city, in every town, in every community, that, that there's a church where people are listening right now. I want you to understand something. Jesus wants to reach the people in that community more than you do. So you're not trying to talk him into reaching the people. Jesus is looking for people who will put their faith and their trust and their hope in him so that he can work through them to change their community. Dale Sellers has been our guest, author of Stalled. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.